Hi, this is episode 13 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part 2 of chapter 2 of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. I apologize again for the lower quality of these recordings. I made them about 8 years ago, before I knew how to get better sound. Mrs. Fosdyke positively scooted for her coat and hat on receiving this gratifying intelligence. She told her cronies about it later, in the fiddler's arms. "'He's doing one of his scripts about me,' she boasted. "'Said he wanted to get right inside my mind, researching up on it at the moment.' On being jealously reminded by one of her friends that she had always pronounced Mr. Bagthorpe to be mad, she replied, "'It goes in patches, does madness. He's in one of his sane spells,' which covered the present situation nicely, and also gave her a loophole whereby she could revert to her former assessment of Mr. Bagthorpe, if necessary. Mrs. Bagthorpe finished her coffee and went back to her problems. Mrs. Fosdyke, armed with a five-pound note and string bag, was scuttling toward the village, and the coast was clear. Mr. Bagthorpe took a pair of scissors and went into the pantry. The hall was rich beyond his wildest expectations. There seemed hardly a packet or tin that did not offer the possibility of desirable rewards from motor-cars to thousands of pounds, from holiday bungalows to trips to the Greek islands. Mr. Bagthorpe was particularly bent on winning this latter, because it had a whole lot more tone than a trip to the Caribbean. There were eight tins whose wrappers carried entry forms for this particular prize, and he swiftly removed them all and stowed them in his pocket. The very next batch of tins promised a motor-car, and also some very attractive runners-up prizes, ranging from stereo equipment to typewriters. These, too, were divested of their wrappers. All in all, Mr. Bagthorpe was in the pantry for a full quarter of an hour. He returned to his study a happy man, every pocket stuffed with wrappers and box-lids, and hours of enjoyable slogan-slogging before him. He sorted his pickings into business-like piles, fetched out a new notebook, and prepared a record-keeping system. He made notes of how many bottle-tops of certain products he would have to collect and send along with his entries. He wrote the closing date of each competition in red, and by lunchtime the ground was prepared. All that now remained was the actual solving and slogan-making, the least part of the thing, it seemed to Mr. Bagthorpe, who was not a modest man. The house was full of Bagthorpes, similarly engaged. Rosie was sucking her pencil over a slogan for aftershave, made difficult by her uncertainty as to what this product was actually supposed to do. In the end, she settled for, You may be no saint, but X will make you feel good. William was writing a letter in not more than five hundred words explaining why he would like a motor caravan, and Tess had already thought of three sure-fire slogans for a shampoo, and was now deciding that the best was probably... You may be no saint, but you will have a halo. Which, given Rosie's effort, suggested a strong telepathic link between Bagthorpe's simultaneously generating ideas. Jack, meanwhile, was slack and happy in the meadow with his dog. Zero did not really seem to want to sit up and beg, even when Jack dangled his favorite biscuits above him. The reason Jack wanted him to learn was to increase his standing among the other Bagthorpes. Even now that he could fetch sticks, none of them really thought much of him. It was Mr. Bagthorpe who had given him his name. If there was anything less than zero, that hound would be it, he had said. 
It was not a good name to have to go through life with, and Jack sometimes wondered if it affected Zero and gave him an inferiority complex. He spent a lot of time trying to build Zero's confidence, because he could tell by the way his ears drooped when he was getting sad and undermined. This morning, for instance, after each unsuccessful attempt by Zero to beg, Jack had hurled a stick and shouted, Fetch! And each time Zero had brought it back, he was patted and praised and given a biscuit. At present, Jack was having a rest and wondering how best to tackle the problem. He felt sure that Zero could sit up and beg, if only he, Jack, found the key to how his mind worked. He's got quite thick legs and a very square-shaped sort of bottom, he thought, so there's no physical reason why he can't beg. It must be all in the mind. There was, of course, one obvious method Jack could use for getting through to Zero. He had been keeping it as a last resort, because the only other occasion he had used it was one of his most painful memories. It was the most embarrassing moment of his life. Jack had been trying to get through to Zero how to fetch sticks, and in the end he himself dropped down on all fours, crawled after the stick, and picked it up in his own teeth. Mr. Bagthorpe had caught him in the act. It had been terrible. The only thing was, it had worked. And it could work again now, he thought. In fact, it's probably the only way. Unfortunately, the thing was not so simple as it seemed. He would need, he realized, an accomplice. Someone would have to hold up a biscuit for Jack to sit up and beg for. It would, he was convinced, be no use his holding up a biscuit for himself. This would only confuse Zero even more. Jack slumped back into the grass. That's it, then, he thought. He knew for a fact that none of his family was going to hold up a biscuit for Jack to beg for. He also knew that he would never ask them. They were all geniuses, and he was ordinary. To ask them to hold up biscuits would be to invite the fate of being subordinary. He half shut his eyes and squinted through the long, seeding grass and saw the light running like wires. He heard Zero's steady panting by his ear and was content. It was a shock to hear Uncle Parker's voice. Hello there. Having a kip? Jack shot up and shaded his eyes against the low autumn sun to stare up at his uncle, six foot four above ground level, and looking amused in the friendly way he had. Jack and Uncle Parker were old conspirators. They understood one another. Not kipping, Jack told him, just having a bit of a think. Ah, Uncle Parker sat down himself and pulled a grass to chew. Jack explained the problem. Well, said Uncle Parker when he had finished, here's your third party. You? Would you? No trouble. Nothing much to holding up biscuits. Got some handy? Jack indicated the bag containing the remainder. There's just one thing you might do for me, Uncle Parker said. What? Go to the bingo place with Grandma and Fozzie. I'll give you a sub. Can't let that pair loose on their own. Jack saw his point. He knew that Grandma was going to cheat, and that when she was found out she would need protecting. Mrs. Fosdyke was not the protecting type. She would probably scuttle like a rat off a sinking ship the minute the police arrived. Jack, like Mr. Bagthorpe, felt sure that the kind of cheating Grandma would go in for would eventually involve the police. I'll do it, he said. I'll go. 
might even win. Could easily, agreed Uncle Parker. Pure chance, no skill. No offense. Come on, then, Jack said. Let's start the training. Here. He handed up the bag of biscuits. He himself then crouched on all fours beside Zero, who was dozing. Hey, Zero! Zero opened his eyes, and his ears picked up slightly. Now, watch me. Zero yawned hugely and moved to a sitting position. He looked dazed. Now, whispered Jack to Uncle Parker, you say up, and I'll sit up and beg. If I do it and he doesn't, you say good boy and pat my head and give me the biscuit. Uncle Parker nodded. He delved in the bag and came up with a chocolate digestive, which he broke in half. Right. He held the biscuit aloft, halfway between Jack and Zero. Up, sit up, beg, good boy, boys, rather. Jack accordingly crouched on his legs and held his hands drooping forward in imitation of front paws. Good boy, exclaimed Uncle Parker. He patted Jack on the head and held out the biscuit. Jack opened his mouth, and Uncle Parker pushed the half-digestive into it. It nearly choked him. He looked sideways to see that Zero was looking distinctly interested. For one thing, his eyes were fixed soulfully on the piece of biscuit still protruding from Jack's mouth, and for another he was doing a kind of stamping movement with his front paws alternately, like a racehorse, impatient to be loosed. "'Look!' the exclamation came out with a shower of crumbs. "'Look at his paws!' Uncle Parker nodded. We're on the right track. All we've got to do now is keep reinforcing the message. How hungry are you? Not terribly, Jack told him. You could break the biscuits into quarters instead of halves. They'll last longer that way. The training session continued. It was going well. Uncle Parker and Jack became increasingly pleased with themselves and increasingly entertained by Zero's efforts to raise himself with his front paws up. He had very big furry paws. Pudding-footed, Mr. Bagthorpe called him, and he did not seem to have much control over them. Once or twice he toppled over sideways within an ace of success and rolled about, growling with annoyance. And that's the end of Part 2 of Chapter 2 of Absolute Zero. See you next time.